Welcome to Find Your Niche, a career podcast offering advice that you can implement today, as well as career tips that will set you on a career path and help you to find your niche. I'm Lori Cole, certified career coach and job search advisor with iHire. iHire connects you to industry-specific jobs in over 57 talent communities. Find your niche today on iHire. In today's episode, we'll talk about some career assessments and the reference book that's had the most impact on my life and the lives of some of my coaching candidates. We'll also talk to Brandon Paholchuk, who started his career in the political science arena, but has found his niche as a salesperson with Twig Cycle Sales in Hagerstown, Maryland. And stay until the end for the two-minute tell-all, things that you can't believe actually happened at work. Here are the latest trends, topics, and tips that will help you in your job search. We've all been in this situation. We're sitting in front of a guidance counselor, and they ask us, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? Really, is that a fair question for an 18-year-old? If you're anything like I was, you didn't have enough life experience or knowledge to make such bold decisions. But you've got to start somewhere, right? So I looked at the course list and chose a career path and got started with the rest of my life. Looking back on it, that was a lot of pressure. I was very jealous of people who said that they always wanted to be a nurse or a teacher, and they knew what they wanted to do from a very young age. And you could look at that person and know that that was just what they were born to do. But that wasn't me, unfortunately. And based on the data, that's probably not you either, because only 27% of college graduates work in the field they majored in. And making choices about your career as you get older doesn't get any easier. So you won't be surprised to find out that a lot of the people I talk to and coach are at a fork in the road with their career, and they really aren't sure what they want to do when they grow up. It seems that people start to think about their career paths when they're either between jobs or looking to make a move. I had my aha moment mid-career after taking a Myers-Briggs test and then reading the book called Do What You Are by Paul Teeger and Barbara Baron Teeger. That book changed everything for me. With my highlighter in one hand and my newly found ENFP personality in the other, I started reading my section of the book. And I was shocked that it knew me so well. I I swear I highlighted half of the pages and I kept saying, that's me, that's me. These are my strengths and these are my weaknesses. And this explains why I've always done things the way I've done them. When I pulled this book off my shelf to prepare for this podcast and read those highlighted areas again 15 years later, it's still me. But now I can see my areas of growth because I took their advice and I worked on the areas that were weak and I capitalized on my strengths. I also realized that I've probably overcompensated for some of my weaker areas like organization because I am over the top on organizational skills and lists now. This was the point in my life where I had to start thinking seriously about my career path and what I truly wanted to do and what I was very good at. And while I wasn't sure what my next step would be, I was always working in that direction, trying to gain the experience through a series of jobs 
that would help me get to something where I felt like I had found my niche. It's never too early to start thinking about your career path. And it's never too late, really, either. The time you spend and the experiences that you've gained have all brought you to this point of where you are today. If you're really not sure where to start, start with an online assessment, something like the Myers-Briggs so that you can understand your personality type or a DISC assessment. But keep taking these assessments until you find something that really speaks to you and you can get excited about and you feel like they have nailed your personality, they know you, and they can give you guidance on how to move your career path forward. Let's hear from today's featured guests who has found their niche. My name is Brandon Polchuk. I attended school at Salisbury University. I actually started here locally at Frederick Community College before uh, transferring, you know, trying to figure out what I wanted to do and everything like that. Graduated with a political science degree after starting in an exercise science field. So I have a lot of fleeting interests and I almost completed an exercise science degree, then went to political science and graduated and uh, worked for Governor Hogan here at the State House in Maryland. And now I sell motorcycles for a living. So I've kind of been like all over the place, but um, just following my, my passions as best I can. So are you able to talk about very much uh, of the Governor Hogan experience? I mean, things yeah, that yeah. happened there? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, um, I was by no means like priority personnel <laughs> when I was there. That was a totally entry level, just like grunt position. I worked in the uh, press and communications office and was primarily doing uh, editing of press releases, just editing correspondence and, and just, just assisting at all the high level personnel in that office. But what an impressive thing to have on your resume. I mean, you know. Um, yeah, I'm blessed, I'm blessed to have that, for sure. Yeah, coming out of school to be able to put that on your resume and say, hey, I worked at the governor's office. I mean, is that kind of your claim to fame when somebody sees your resume? You know, it's interesting. So I think a lot of people that review resumes and conduct interviews, they're like really targeted and they're really focused on rightfully so, on what they, they want to see and what they want to kind of illuminate. Uh, really, it's it's kind of like a check mark, And I feel a, a lot of people are more comfortable with me as an applicant because they see that I've had some of that, you know, high level corporate-esque professional background. But there aren't too many questions about it, believe it or not. So you went away from it and you entered a sales arena in probably the worst possible time, March of 2020. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. So tell me about why you wanted to leave what you were doing at the governor's office and get into something else. And how did all that happen? Yeah. So um, I, I initially just realized like it wasn't for me. And that's like an earth shattering thing when you go through a whole collegiate career and you graduate with honors and you focus on whatever you focused on and you get this awesome job that means a lot in that sector. And then you're like, this isn't for me. And it, it's kind of earth shattering. You feel like you wasted a lot of time. So it was really scary for me. And I've had a lot of those transitional phases where I've had to just kind of cut the rip cord and, and jump away from something that I'm currently doing. So there was a lot of fear there. Um, I didn't really know what was going to happen, but I remembered one of the first sales experiences I ever encountered was when I did race motorcycles as a child, me and my dad went to this dealership in Hagerstown, Maryland, Twig Cycles, which is where I currently uh, work. 
and I was going in and, you know, the sales, the salesman would actually talk to me and engage with me. And my dad purchased multiple bikes from them for me to, to race on. And that was the first exp- sales experience I could even recount. So it was really weird, but I messaged someone that I knew from there that I met when I was a child and he kind of got my foot in the door. And that's how I, uh, you know, stumbled upon that opportunity to work there. So how, what, how did COVID affect all of that? Uh, yeah. So COVID was, was crazy. I mean, I, I think it was kind of a good time to come on board because I had very little sales experience and maybe that allowed for them to take a chance on a candidate that didn't have a sales background and someone they could just take the time to groom. But then when COVID affected, you know, their supply chain, you know, the automotive supply chain and the power sports supply chain, it threw a huge wrench in the game. I mean, I came in, they work in um, quarterly, monthly and yearly sprints, you know, with sales quotas and whatnot. So I, I missed a month of my first year, just coming in late. And then two months in to my kind of training process, getting the ball rolling, I was laid off for, uh, for 30 days when COVID kind of struck and everyone was scrambling and we had all the stay at home orders and everything like that. Right. And so that was a big, a big kind of wrench thrown in. And so I never got a formal training process and I had to learn on the fly um, a lot, you know, just by kind of mirroring my, my superiors and just picking people's brains and stuff. But um, I mean, I just took to it really quickly and it didn't really seem to, to affect my workflow at all. I do a lot more teleworking and, you know, convincing people that the risk was warranted to come from their, the safety of their homes to the dealership and kind of like escort them into the building. And obviously everyone's masked up and a lot of sales, like I said, it's interpersonal. You want to see the person's face and their expressions and everything. So that was taken out of the game. And uh, so it was just a big learning process, but um, I mean, we still did really well. I think all the sales quotas were exceeded and I managed to hit all my goals first year, second year and, and going on now. So it's been, it's been okay. Do you think if you would have gone into sales in another industry where you didn't have previous background, like you, you talked about racing motorcycles as a kid, mm-hmm. if you had gone to a, a different sales job, do you think that you would be doing as well? Or is it just that you have the passion for that sport and so you can more easily talk to the customers about mm. things like this. Yeah, I think about that a lot, you know, because I it, I doubt this this position that I'm currently in will be my last sales position. You know, I'll, I'll probably gravitate toward, uh, you know, a larger company, you know, eventually. I think I'm just really invigorated by the sales process, you know, gaining that affinity in, in my customer and really connecting with them pitching a product, you know, and just making, making a deal happen. When I was a little kid and I thought about what work was, and my dad was a salesman in the water technologies industry, he would always come home in a three-piece suit. And I don't know, there was, and there's this mystique about sales where, you know, you made it, you made a deal happen. You, you, two people came together and, you know, in that Congress, they, they shook hands and they, they made something happen. And that feels like real work to me. I'm not really connected to many of the industries that have come up now where they're all they're purely technology based there's none of that face to face handshaking deal making so i think i'd be i think i'd really thrive in any sales position uh, in any industry if i applied myself properly and really knew the product but um it has been an awesome entry level position for me because i can use a lot of my uh 
just energy about the industry to kind of propel the sale pro- the sales process forward. You know, that happiness and that excitement is an amazing thing to be able to just sprinkle in during your sales process to get the person excited and motivated to, you know, have the process move forward. So if you could go back in time, like when you're first looking into what you want to do for school, you you talked about what like a bad thing it was to get out of school with this degree and say, oh my gosh, this is not what I want to do. I mean, if you had that all to do over again, what would you do differently? That's a great question. I mean, it's kind of hard. It's kind of really tough because I've followed my passions a lot of the time and tried to make a career out of them and realized often that your passions don't always make the best career. So it's like initially with exercise science, I was a personal trainer for a long time. I love exercise. It's something that I'm just incredibly passionate about. But when I tried to make a career of it, the career field didn't look at all like what I had anticipated and it wasn't right. With political science, I was super interested in sociology and you know the social psych- psychology side of politics and political theory and stuff. And I love those classes and I love reading you know those texts and everything. But then getting out into the real wor- working world, it wasn't really what I expected and it, it didn't gel with me very well. So I think, I mean, it was a long road to get where I am now in the sales field. And I think I needed to, you know, you have to make mistakes to figure out the best place for yourself. And I'm still learning. I mean, I don't, I don't see myself at the end of the day, always working for someone. I mean, maybe I'll do something entrepreneurial in, in my future. And, and that's an aspiration that I have. But um, you can't ever look back at your life and, and regret making mistakes. I mean, you don't have to view them as mistakes. I don't view them as mistakes. I mean, it is a lot of wasted time to not have all this like random political knowledge about different political theory and stuff that doesn't really serve me other than in casual conversation. But, um, but nothing's been wasted. You know, it's all just, it's all up here. It's all part of, part of your skill. Right. And with you being younger, you don't know that you won't use that in the future in some way. You know, that it's just all part of the mosaic that makes up yeah. the person of Brandon. And you you just don't know like what you're going to be able to use in the future and what you can apply. And do you think that uh, job shadowing would have been something that would have been good for you to do? Oh, yeah, 100 percent, 100 percent. And yeah. I think I think in the formative years uh, of, of my education, I think high school college, there should be so much more of an emphasis on job shadowing, just because everyone's talking about things, speaking about things theoretically, and that there's almost, there's very little value in that other than just fun. And as a cognitive exercise to think theoretically is really fun, but it's not, you know, it's the, the application side of things that people need to be a little bit closer to, especially, you know, while they're being educated. So they know this is what my day-to-day life is going to be like. This is what you know the ins and outs are. That I wish all of my um, all of college should have been me going and shadowing people. I mean, I, I wish that was the case. And you know, I think that that's what internships are kind of supposed to be, mm-hmm. so that you can get in and see what's happening at the company and and what you would actually be doing. One day is not enough. You need to be immersed in it for a little while, so that you can actually see what the day-to-day yeah, no doubt. looks like. No doubt. 
So tell me about your typical day right now. What happens when you go to work and what do you do? Sure. So, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty early riser, get up early, work out in the morning. I'm, I leave the house by around like 7.45, 7.30. And we get to the store early. All of the salesmen come in early. We open up the store, clean the store up a little bit. We pull out machines, clean machines, you know, just get everything ready and make sure the, the store is really presentable for the customers that'll come in and walk in. Then I sit down and just get to some emails, you know, get to the nitty gritty of it, the, the grind of it. And, uh, you know, a lot of my job is reaching out via cold calls, via emails and responding to lead inquiries that we'll, that we'll get throughout the day um, on different machines. And we sell a variety of machines. So it could be anything from an on-road motorcycle to a dirt bike to we sell these big doom buggy things called side-by-sides. The industry is huge now. And for off-road riding, they're like big doom buggy cars. Yeah. So I'll just respond to customer inquiries and just try to talk to customers all day, see how many feelers I can get out there, see how many um, in-person appointments I can generate. I mean, I guess that would be the real, the real important piece. How many people can you get to come out and sit down with you and talk about their, the vehicles they're interested in, and then try to get a, a sales process going and, and sell a vehicle. So how have you learned your sales process? Has it been from watching the people who are there or have you developed kind of your own flow to get people into the store? Um, so I'd say it's really a 50-50 split. And I've learned that it's really important to be genuine and develop my own, my own sales process that is really unique to myself. But there is a, a, a construct that didn't mirror a ton of people early on. My sales manager, Chad Gordon, is fantastic. And he kind of led the way and just let me sat, you know, perch up like a little bird on his shoulder and kind of watch his process. But um, when it comes to interpersonal communication, that's my favorite way of learning is in person. So I just saw it once, you know, saw how it was done start to finish and said, okay, like this is, I get it. This is how, and this is how I'm going to do it. And then kind of crafted my own unique sales process. And I think due to the fact that my sales process is really genuinely my own, that's how I've garnered a lot of success because it's genuine and it flows really well and, it, and it's honest and it's not, I hate formulaic, heavily structured interpersonal communication. I just don't think it reads genuine. So whenever, I, and I do have to, did, did have to do a lot of trainings about that. You know, these are the steps of selling yada, yada, but I think it's really important to take those steps, definitely use them, definitely circle back to them if you need to, but really make it your own. And each person you're dealing with is going to, they're going to want to skip steps. The person that's in front of you is going to want to skip steps. So don't force them into a cookie cutter process that's going to alienate them and make them feel icky or like what they're doing isn't a real genuine human to human exchange. Because some people just come in and they're ready to buy right now. Yeah. They're just like, okay, let's, let's go. Let's just do it. And why put them through the structure of that when, yeah. when you know that they're ready to go and they, they have done their research, they know what they want and they are good to go. Yeah, I was, I would say it's like, it's not your job to get in the way of someone else's purchase it's or their dream a lot what i love about what i'm doing currently is it's some people's dream their entire life they're like i've always wanted this motorcycle i've always seen myself on this motorcycle and it's your job to to facilitate that and to make sure you know their dream can happen not to take advantage of them or slow them down 
or get in the way of, of their process. It's just to facilitate. So yeah, you're totally right. What is your favorite part of the job? Mm, so I think my two favorite parts, my, my first favorite part is just uh, getting the deal done. You know, there's so, I take such a sense of satisfaction away from that tangible work product. Because a lot of times, you know, we're working in these virtual spaces where if someone doesn't say, hey, good job with that, you don't know that you even did anything. You're like, what am I doing? What did I accomplish today? When you sell something and you see that person ride off in the sunset on that, on that vehicle, that's a, very, a real tangible, like visceral, you know, means of uh, feeling success right there. So I love that. I love, uh, you know, shaking hands and seeing the big smile on the person's face and seeing them happy. So I'd say the accomplishment of the sale and how real that's been, and then how happy the customer can be, you know, how pleased they can be. I think that could happen even in a very corporate business sense. You know, if someone really needs to get something done and they really have, you know, a void that needs filled and they do it successfully and they make it work for their, their margin or whatever it may be, they're, they're super satisfied by that. And having that satisfaction mutually is really, really rewarding. Riding off into the sunset, that's such a great picture of just this person being happy with their purchase, riding off into the sunset. That's fantastic. So what advice would you give somebody trying to break into sales? Hmm. I would say sales for me is, it's the epitome of just going for it. You know, it's like, (laughs) it's like a maxim these days. Everyone says like, just send it. Just, just go, you know, just go for it. You can't have a lot of hesitation about you. You can't overthink. You just have to, you have to go for it. Um, with me, it took a lot because there was a lot of fear slowing me down. Like I said, about my background it was all that wasted was where my student, you know, my student debt and everything is all this just representative of a waste of my time by, you know, embarking in a sales career. Should I, should I do it? And I always had a feeling that it would feel right being in sales and I was scared to just jump and just do it. So I would just say, just do it as, as trite and overused as it is, you know, the Nike whole thing, just, just go for it and uh, apply yourself a hundred percent. And I think you'll be more satisfied with that than anything. We appreciate our featured guest for joining the find your niche podcast. Now more career advice and stories from your host, Lori Cole. Of course, whenever you start working somewhere, you always get this new person welcome packet. You'll have a stapler and you'll have a clipboard and you'll have pens and you'll have all these things on your desk. Well, in this particular situation, a yellow legal pad always came in the welcome package. So that was always on the new person's desk. It was meant for the new person to be able to take notes about their training and note any questions that they might have as they're going through their day. But one new coworker took note-taking to the extreme. This guy must have loved creative writing since he started journaling about everything that happened in the office. He journaled about events. He wrote about his coworkers. He wrote his personal thoughts and feelings. And when he was supposed to be learning his new job, he was journaling. He was writing notes on this yellow pad. Being in a shared office space, the other co-workers started noticing he was spending a lot of time with this yellow pad. And he even left it on his desk, open to the page where he was taking notes for all to read. The co-workers would see him journaling 
and they couldn't wait for him to leave for lunch so that they could check out all the latest entries. And it wasn't unusual for a coworker to take pictures of the pages that contained some really good content for the day. He was forced to stop keeping the journal after the supervisor became aware of it. And ironically, there wasn't a single entry in the journal about his job or his training or any questions that he had. It was all about the coworkers. If you have a two-minute tell-all that you just can't believe happened at work, get a hold of me, laurie.cole at ihire.com. Is there something you need some guidance on in terms of your career? Email to laurie.cole at ihire.com. Thanks for listening.